Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. His mercy is more where our sin, where our sin abounds. His mercy and his grace abounds all the more. You know, if you, if you actually believe that, if we actually believe that where our sins are many, his mercy is more, if we believe that, what that means is that the church is finally the one place where you're free to be the sinner that you actually are. Everywhere else, you have to front and fake and deny and lie and hide. But if the church is the church because... All and every one of us has said, I have sinned in ways that I can't fix. Only Jesus can fix me. Then this is the one place where you can walk in the light and stop lying and hiding about your sin. We open up God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, would you, by your spirit, Make us walk in the light. Like Adam and Eve before us, we want to hide in the plants of the garden. And you call out to us, where are you? Come out, walk in the light. Through Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, Cause us now to walk in the light of your word. For Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. Amen. First place we'll open to together is 1 Thessalonians 3. Because we're not allowed to pass out bulletins, some of you flip out because you don't know what song's coming next or what scripture's coming next. I kind of like it because then we can do whatever we want on, on, the, on the fly. But uh, the first place we'll be is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and this sermon this morning will have, I don't know, two, three, four, five points. Let's say four. If I don't get to all four, I do not want to hear from you about it afterwards. But the sermon this morning is about the church. Lord willing, we'll get back into James chapter 1, verse 18 next Sunday. But because we're just reopening, we wanted to take two weeks and kind of lay out what the church is. So last, what are relationships in the church? This, you could write the same title for this one, Supernatural Relationships in the Church, part two. Or a simpler title maybe would just be Face to Face. Why does the church want to meet face to face? That's what we'll look at together from several passages. We'll start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. God's word says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For while we were still with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith." 
for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. You ever feel like that? Paul says in verse eight, have you ever felt this? You love somebody so much. You care about somebody so much that you could say, I will really live if I know that that somebody is okay. That's what he says. Verse nine, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. I can't get over how, how um, human that is. This is the apostle Paul and like when he prays earnestly, this guy is like spiritual warfare. I'm going to tear down the kingdom of Satan. This guy is globalization of the church. We're going to go all over the place and plant churches. But here, when he says, what I'm most earnestly praying for is that I can come see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So we want to talk about what makes the church the church and why the church is so compelled to be together face to face. So in talking about this together, let's make, say, four points here. And the first would simply be this. Believers long to see each other face to face. Believers long to see each other face to face. We celebrated the table of the Lord you know, the Gospels say that when they were at that Passover meal, when the Lord instituted this supper with his apostles, it's, it doesn't say it like this, but I picture this. One of them, like, got there quick so that he could sit right next to Jesus, and the King James says, so that he could, so that he could lean his head on the bosom of Jesus. The Apostle John wanted to be right there with Jesus, you know, with that same loving heart, the Apostle John wrote in 2 John, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Believers long to see each other face to face. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you long for the bodily presence of other believers with you, good news, this does not mean that you're too carnal and too fleshly and you're not focused enough on heaven yet. If you're a believer and you long to be with other believers face to face, this means that you are being the person that God created you to be and you're expressing the longings that God himself has put in your heart. 
Look at, the, look at our, our example here from the Apostle Paul. Verse 8, the zeal of his care. Verse 8, the zeal of his care. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And look at the example he sets for us in verse 9, the joy of his love, the joy of his love. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And finally, verse 10, the longing of his heart to be face to face, the longing of his heart to be face to face as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. There's nothing like being face-to-face. As a pastor, uh, I have tried to reconcile disagreements over the phone and over email. And I don't mean that I have done that uh, theoretically at some point in my ministry. I'm telling you, I have spent I don't know how many hours in the last six weeks trying to reconcile church members' differences on the phone and in email. And you know what? It stinks. I can't do it. And that's not my fault. That's God's fault for making us beings who need to communicate face to face. Also in the last several weeks, I've been able to visit a few of our church members who aren't able to be here. I hope to do that again in the weeks ahead. And I'm I'm absolutely blown away when I visit a church member who's been away from here for a number of weeks, how much it means to them to receive a visit. And it's, it's not me. I wouldn't... I wouldn't be excited as me, and you shouldn't either. My breath is bad. My armpits sweat and stink. I'm not that great of a conversationalist. I'm better in a microphone talking to everybody than actually just talking. Like, a visit from me is not, not that great. But what it means, what it means that a member of the family of God remembered you and came to you when you couldn't come to them, This is what God has made us long for. I mean, I I certainly hope that the lockdown and COVID-19 has, you know, shown us, like they say, you don't know what you have until it's taken away, and then you realize how, how precious it is. Those in a happy marriage understand the misery of being in an unhappy one. Those who have the blessing of having children don't understand the pain of infertility, Those who can be at church every week, week in and week out, don't understand what it's like for those who don't. It's a very precious thing. You know, in his marvelous little book about the church called Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knew what he was talking about, by the way, because Dietrich Bonhoeffer was put in jail during World War II for his Christian faith, separated from the body of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in that little book, uh, he says, you don't know how precious it is to be a part of the church. He has this heartbreaking little line in there. He says, the time that separates us from utter loneliness may be very brief indeed. The time that separates, you don't know how brief is the time from you right now to utter loneliness because the joy of belonging is taken away from you. We long to be with each other face to face. 
There's a second truth about why the church is embodied in her presence together. And we could simply say it like this. When believers are separated from the church, they long to be together again with the church. That's a mark of believers. That when believers are separated from the church, they long to be together again with the church. Let let us hope, which I know has happened, that our separation during COVID-19 has made us long to be together again. Absence has made the heart grow fonder. There's a, kind of, there's a kind of longing. You see it throughout scripture. In uh, Psalm 137, the children of Zion, the people of Israel, they hang their, their instruments on the trees of Babylon and they weep because they long to be back at the city of Zion where they could sing God's praises. We have this longing to be together, to be back with the people of God. Not all Christians can assemble with the church, and it's the mark of the Christian that that they want to be back together again. Not every Christian has this. Some of our members, I'm I'm not making a joke about this. There have been times when one of our members was sent to prison for a crime, and they've been separated from us, and we want to see them, and they want to see us. There right now are many of our members who are stuck at home through the lockdown. We want to see them and they want to see us. Think about those whom we have sent to mission work. I talked with a a friend of mine, actually I, I got together with him this week, who was a pioneer missionary. And one of the things that he said in our conversation was the, one of the, one of the hardest things of being a pioneering missionary is that I was going to a place where there was no church. So I was leaving the joy of fellowship out of obedience to Jesus to try to plant a church, but it was so difficult. And think about it. You know, it's, it's almost like if, if a pioneering missionary is the strongest Christian, think about the, the sinning Christian. Think about the other side of it. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Titus chapter 3, other passages insist that the church must put out of her fellowship a member who's in unrepentant sin. That is, those texts say that if there's a member of the church, a professing Christian, who is living contrary to the commands of Christ, but they're still claiming to be a Christian, in those texts, the Spirit of God commands the church to put that sinning member out of the church so that that very disciplinary process will make them long to repent of their sin and return to the fellowship. Believers long to see each other face to face. And when believers are separated from the church, they long to be together again with the church. It is such a blessing to be able to be together. Earlier this month, uh, it was kind of a nothing evening. I was sitting in the backyard uh, because I like to sit in the backyard in an evening on one of the four days that Wisconsin has good weather. And I was reading my, uh, I was reading Charles Dickens, who I adore. And um, it was just kind of a nothing evening. And I was sitting out there reading my book and Amy was doing something in the house. And uh, she came out in the yard just to check on me and see if I needed anything or I needed a drink or anything. And I said, no, I don't need anything. And I don't know, I don't know why I said it, but before she turned and went back in the house, I, I just said, you know what? We are so lucky that we get to live together and take care of each other. It was, it was just a nothing comment at 6.15 on a Thursday evening. And as soon as I said that, Amy teared up 
And as soon as I saw her tear up, I teared up. And as I'm reflecting on that, you know, that's exactly the way that we feel about the church. Lucky isn't really a Calvinistic word, but we, we are so blessed to be able to be together with the family of God, the way they have loved us and the way that we love them. We long to be together again with all of our members who aren't even here yet. We want to be able to hug, to shake hands, just to be together. At the beginning of this lockdown, there was some concern about, well, and we invested money in a camera to do live stream and everything, and there's some concern, well, what if people get lazy and they get used to going to church online and they don't want to come back? I am not worried about that. No offense to the people watching online. Watching online is, I'm not going to say it's bad, it's good. But it is a whole lot south of great. What is great is being together the way that God has designed us to be together. And we long for that. That's just, that's the way he created us and the way he wants us to be. So true believers, when they're separated from the church, they long to be together with the church again. Well, third... Uh, Another longing, and a third thing that we could say about being together face-to-face is simply this, isn't it that believers long to join with other believers in worship? Believers long to join with other believers in worship. When we're together, we want to sing. When we're together, we want to lift up our voices in song. Believers long to join with other believers in worship. You know, it's It's interesting. Genesis 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. It says it in sort of a, uh, almost like a, like a, like a patterned Hebrew poetry. There's another chapter. It's actually Job chapter 38 that almost fills in what it sounded like and what it looked like when God did that in Genesis 1. And in Job 38, it says that when God was doing what he was doing in Genesis 1, it says the morning stars were singing to the glory of God. That is, the angelic beings were singing praises to God Almighty. And so there from Genesis, right on through. As soon as we get to Exodus, God does something awesome in which he delivers his people. And right away, God's people gather together and they lift up this this almost war song where the Lord is a mighty warrior and the horse and his rider has been trampled into the sea. As soon as God's people are delivered, they long to lift up their voices together in song. Throughout the historic books, throughout the Psalms, all this continues until we turn the page from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And when the announcement is made that Jesus will come to the virgin, Mary lifts up her voice in the Magnificat. We keep going through the epistles. It says that when we gather, we encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then you make it all the way to the last book in the Bible. There is so much singing in the book of Revelation that it's like, what else is there in there? Every time you, you glance behind the clouds and into heaven, there's, there's this, this chorus of praises to the lamb who was slain. God's people want to join together to praise God. There is power in exalting God together. And we want to be here to do it because we feel like, and I think there's some truth to this feeling. I feel like, you know, I can't lift God high enough when I'm on my own. But when all of us gather together and your shoulder's in it and my shoulder's in it and she throws her back into it, we all lift him up. We can lift him up a little higher than we can alone. This is why we love to be here. 
to worship the Lord together. We are joined together in the worship of the triune God. This is important. And I want to say one more thing, and I can't, I can't think of a time in recent years when it has been more important for me to make this point. And the point is this. What unites the church is the worship of God. In other words, what unites the church is not that we all have the same opinion about the next presidential election. What unites the church is not that we all have the same opinion about what to do about law enforcement. Though we all desire justice, we all desire unnecessary violence and killing to end, we all desire righteousness, there are so many different factors and tributaries to all of those causes. What unites the church is the worship of Almighty God in a world that is burning down and every person is fracturing away from every person on so many other secondary issues. Let the church be united in this, the worship of the Lamb who has redeemed us by shedding his own blood. There is our unity, raising our voices to glorify God the lamb who was slain for us. We long to be together and worship. Somebody called me last week. Actually, it was a, it was an, it was a good phone call. He's, he hasn't been here yet. I haven't met him, but he's, he and his family, he's a dad of a, a young family. They just moved into town and they watched our services online and he just called me and he was like, well, I have some questions. I was like, fine, what are your questions? He said, what is your philosophy of ministry? I was like, hmm, I suppose I should have a philosophy of ministry so that I can answer this question. So I talked to him about, you know, the, the, we've, we've always gone back to the, the three E's. The, the first E is edification, Ephesians 4.12. When the church gathers, the reason we gather, Ephesians 4 says, is so that the body of Christ will be built up and edified so that all the work of the ministry will happen through all of the ministers, which are the, the, the congregants in the body of Christ. So the first E is edification. The church gathers for edification. The second E is, of course, evangelization. The church scatters for evangelization. It's wonderful if someone is saved in one of our church services, but we don't gather for, for that specific purpose. We gather to edify. We scatter out into the community for the purpose of evangelism. And the third E is the most important of all, because the third one is the reason why we edify and the reason that we evangelize, and that is exaltation. All things, all things are from him and through him and to him, that in all things God may be glorified. That's the bottom line in everything that we do. So when the church gathers, we long to glorify and praise God together. And that just leaves us with a fourth and almost a summative point for us. And this is what we're talking about, which is relationships. Not only does our longing to be face-to-face not only does our longing to be with the church when we're separated from the church mark us out as Christians, not only do we all long to praise God together, but the fourth and final point would simply be this, wouldn't it? All of our longings are met in relationship with God and relationship with each other through Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. All of our longings are met 
through relationship with God and relationship with one another through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Everything we do is in the context of relationship. Exaltation, that's, that's the glory of God, that God has made a way that we who were estranged from him can now be united with him. Our relationships with one another as we, as we edify each other. And then when we're out sharing the gospel, and I hope you are out sharing the gospel, we're, we're inviting people into a relationship with God. A wonderful way to evangelize is to ask someone, you know, if they have a relationship with God or if they want a relationship with God. And I, I have asked people that, and, and that's a good way to evangelize. But if I, could just, if I could just put a little footnote on that of corrective, let's remember this, church. The Bible doesn't say that those who are unsaved uh, have no relationship with God. The Bible insists that all of those who are not in Jesus Christ stand in a relationship of condemnation with God. John 3.36, he who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And the message of salvation is not merely a message of a happy relationship. The message of salvation is to be rescued from a relation of condemnation into a relation of salvation. This is why his body was split open and his blood poured out. But everything that we do is in the context of relationships. Jesus said in John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And if we backed this up as far back as we could back it up, and we lifted this up as high as we could lift it up, we would have to, we, we would have to, to acknowledge this together. Uh, our God, whom we worship, is three in one. In other words, God did not create the world so that he could have relationships. God the Father has always enjoyed the wonderful communion with God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has always enjoyed the communion with God the Father and God the Son. God did not create the world out of loneliness so that he could have relationships. It's, it's better than that. God created the world out of the overflow of those loving relationships that have eternally existed within the Trinity. This is why Jesus says in John 17, when he saves us, Jesus says, oh, Father, I have given your word to them and I desire to be with them. He desires to be with us. And then Jesus says this in John 17, verse 26, that the love, Father, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and we may be in them. This is what we're drawn into. The very love of God, the love that God the Father has for, we're saved because God the Father sent God the Son. And God the Son lovingly obeyed the commandment of God the Father for us and for our salvation. And now that he has ascended into glory, God the Son from the right hand of the Father has poured out upon us the Holy Spirit. And almost the way you can think of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is that bond of love that we have with the Father and the Son. That we would know we're not orphans, that we would know we're forgiven, that we would know we belong. 
The presence of the very Holy Spirit is our bond of relational peace with God the Father through God the Son. This is our salvation. This is the wonderful joy that we have in salvation. And so as we reflect together on what we have in the church, I know that your heart, like mine, that our absence from one another in these past weeks has made the heart grow fonder and let it make the mind and the spirit grow deeper and richer in our understanding of God's love for us in the gospel and in the church. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God now be glorified in the church. As those who are able have been here to assemble together this morning, we praise you for this gift of bodily presence face to face with one another. For our precious sisters and brothers who are still separated from us because they're locked down at home, we ask, Lord, we ask, Lord, that in your providential mercy, you would bring us together again soon, that we might worship you and we might be with each other face to face doing so, that our unity may be guarded and preserved for the glory of God the Father through the sacrifice of God the Son by the very presence and sealing of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. This we ask in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.